Well, we're continuing our series, Kings and Queens, and uh, in a little bit from now, we're going to have communion together, so make sure you uh, prepare uh, cracker and juice for that. And uh, this is part six in our series, and today uh, we're talking about how do you want to be remembered? I think it's a really great question for us to uh, think about and to contemplate, and uh, uh, it's interesting if you've ever had the opportunity to walk through um, a graveyard, not that we do that very often, um, but to see some of the tombstones, and as I was uh, looking at some this week online, uh, there's always some interesting ones. There was uh, one lady's tombstone that actually had the recipe uh, for her Christmas cookies on the back uh, because she used to say in her life when people would ask her, can I have your recipe, she would say, over my dead body. And so they sort of did that as a humorous thing there. Uh, another um, tombstone actually said underneath the gentleman's name, Uncle Walter loved to spend he had no money in the end. And a uh, little bit, of, obviously, we, he would be remembered as a spender, someone who spent money. As I think about our series today in this question, I also think about uh, a term that's sort of become popular in our culture, and it's the term goat, or uh, the goat emoji that's used in social media has become popular. And it means greatest of all time. Interestingly enough, it was actually started uh, because of Muhammad Ali, who was the great uh, boxer, who was nicknamed the greatest. And in the 1990s, his wife actually introduced that term, uh, goat, or greatest of all time. It has become so popular, actually, that the Ford Motor Company last year introduced the goat button on their Ford Broncos, uh, and with the idea that if you push this button, uh, that your Ford Bronco could handle any terrain. And so goat, for them, meant... Uh, goes over any terrain. In contrast to uh, greatest of all time, when Jesus comes on the scene, he introduces what some people call the upside-down kingdom. Uh, he says, if you want to be the greatest, be the servant of all. And we actually see this attitude in our passage to ponder that we've, been, uh, we've had through this whole series. And in the passage to ponder, it says from John chapter 18, Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders. But now my kingdom is from another place. Jesus was a king who was not about establishing himself on earth, but instead Jesus uh, was setting up an unseen kingdom that would literally permeate through all of the earth as well as throughout the heavens, the kingdom of God. And with this in mind today, we land on the story of one of the kings, King Jehoram. Uh, and we're going to look at him, and likely you have not heard of him very much, and uh, I actually had to uh, think about this, and I actually couldn't remember the story. And I have to be honest, as, I've gone, as I went through his story in preparation for today, it's a sad story. King Jehoram, or as others, he is also known as Joram, was the king of Judah. There was also a King Jehoram of Israel. We're going to focus on the king of Judah. And we find his story in 1 Kings 18, 16 to 24, and also in uh, 2 Chronicles chapter 21. And that's where we're going to focus on as we take a look at his story today. And as we do that, we're going to see uh, some of his attempts to be remembered as a goat, really as the greatest of all time, and the results of that, and hopefully we're going to learn, sadly, from his mistakes and also live, uh, learn to live differently. And so with that in mind, let's dive into this. The first thing, let's take a look at his history. Uh, 2 Chronicles 21 says this, 
Then Jehoshaphat rested with his ancestors and was buried with them in the city of David or Jerusalem. And Jehoram, his son, succeeded him as king. Jehoram's brothers, the sons of Jehoshaphat, were Azariah, Jehel, Zechariah, Azarihu, Michael, and Shephtiah. All these were sons of Jehoshaphat, king of Israel. And the writer here uses Israel there, emphasizing that Jehoshaphat was the king of God's people. Their father had given them, or King Jehoshaphat, had given them many gifts of silver and gold and articles of value, as well as fortified cities in Judah. But he had given the kingdom to Jehoram because he was his firstborn son. Jehoram had a great history. His family was favored. They were part of what would be described the Davidic covenant, where God had promised to David that one of his ancestors would always be on the throne. As well, Jehoram's father, King Jehoshaphat, it was described in, in 1 Kings 22, 43 and 44, that he did what was right in the sight of the Lord or, or did what God wanted him to do, yet, even though later on he made some poor choices. He had some good history there. And Jehoram's name actually means God is exalted or exalted by God. In other words, uh, Jehoram was set up with all that he needed to make good choices. Everything that he had was a result of God's favor and God's blessing on his family right up to that time. I like what author Vanitha Risner uh, says. Scripture shows us that blessing is anything God gives that makes us fully satisfied in him. Anything that draws us closer to Jesus. Anything that helps us relinquish the temporal and hold on more tightly to the eternal. Jehoram had a great history. He was blessed, and he could have chosen to do the next, the best, uh, sorry, the next right thing. But let's see what the choices that he made. Let's jump uh, back to 2 Chronicles chapter 21, picking up at verse 4. When Jehoram established himself firmly, and I want you to remember that, we'll come back to that, over his father's kingdom, he put all of his brothers to the sword along with some of the officials of Israel. Again, uh, Israel is used emphasizing that Jehoram was the king of God's people. Jehoram was 32 years old when he became king and he reigned in Jerusalem eight years. And it says he followed the ways of the king of Israel as the house of Ahab had done, who we learned about a couple of weeks ago. For he married a daughter of Ahab and he did evil in the eyes of the Lord. He had also built high places on the hills of Judah and had caused the people of Jerusalem to prostitute themselves and had led Judah astray. Jehoram made some poor choices. It says he established himself firmly, or literally he made himself strong. In taking the life of his family members, he removed any possible threats to his kingship. He was probably thinking to himself, no one is going to usurp my authority or my position. No one is going to tell me what I can or cannot do. As well, the choices that he made, he aligned himself with evil people. He was attracted uh, from what we read to the evil lifestyle of the kings of Israel and specifically to Ahab, who we learned about in Jezebel a couple of weeks ago. He marries Ahab and Jezebel's daughter and likely for a political alliance. And her name was Atalia, who later, if you read on in chapter 22 of 2 Chronicles, 
manipulated her son who was the king, and after that son was killed, massacred her own family so that she could be the ruler of Judah herself. She was not a good person. Jehoram chose to make friends and allow himself to be influenced by some bad people. He also led others away from God. He's the king of Judah, and he had this call from God as the king to lead people towards God. Instead, he decides to use his influence to move others away from God and to influence them to make things, other things, more important than God and to take his place. I like what Rick Warren says. Many of our troubles occur because we base our choices on unreliable authorities, culture, where the saying is, everyone is doing it. Tradition, where we say, uh, we've always done it this way. Or reason, it seems logical to me, or we base it on emotion. It just feels right. And if we look around to even today, we see examples of leaders of nations and, and celebrities who have a platform of influence who are making choices the same way. Their decisions, in turn then, begin affecting their nation or other nations, or even the next generations to come because they're directing them away from God because of the choices that they're making. I want to make this note in here. We typically don't just wake up one day and choose to do evil or to be an evil influence. Most of the time, it starts out small. We make a choice, and uh, we justify that decision and go for it. And then the next time when we make a decision, it, we justify maybe an even darker thought or a darker decision, which ends up leading to more actions and ends up what we'll talk about, consequences. And it's often our continued or unchecked choices that lead us to consequences that we didn't see coming. See, a lot of times when we make the choices that we make, even poorer ones, we may have some immediate benefits. But those benefits often blind us to the long-term consequences for the path that we've chosen to walk on. And in this case, in Jehoram's case, his consequences followed. Uh, let's pick it up in 2 Chronicles 21 again. Uh, to this day, Edom has been in rebellion against Judah, and the story told about Edom rebelled Libna revolted at the same time because Jehoram had forsaken the Lord, the God of his ancestors. The Lord aroused against Jehoram the hostility of the Philistines and of the Arabs who lived near the Cushites. They attacked Judah, invaded it, and carried off all of the goods found in the king's palace, together with his sons and wives. Not a son was left to him except Ahaziah the youngest. And after all this, the Lord afflicted Jehoram with an incurable disease of the bowels. Again, what a sad story. His consequences were that he, first of all, experienced resistance. The enemies of Israel rebelled who had once been, there had been peace under Solomon and all of his uh, enemies had been, uh, were in compliance with Israel. But now they begin to rise up and rebel because of Jehoram's actions, his choices. He experienced loss. His enemies come in and he literally loses everything. Everything's taken from him. And then he experienced suffering. And it says that he suffers in verse 19. It says he died in great pain. As I said, this is a very sad story. 
And the chronicler who writes Chronicles meant, wrote it to remind the Jews who at that time would be reading it after the exile and for us today to recognize that the results of our choices, when we choose not to do things God's way, there are consequences. Now, your perception might be today as you're listening to this talk, this is typical of God. You know, he loves to watch people suffer or allow suffering, but I want to tell you today that you'd be wrong. God allowed rebellion and loss and suffering to happen as roadblocks to Jehoram to get his attention. As, he, as things begin to fall apart, as those consequences begin to happen for Jehoram, if he had turned to God, if he had, uh, we use the word in the church, they repented, do a 180, which we'll talk a little bit about later. If he had made better choices, I believe God would have yielded in some of the things that he allowed to happen to Jehoram. But all along the way, even as he's suffering in his body, he didn't turn to God. I also want to say today that sometimes the painful loss and suffering that we experience is because of the consequences and the choices of others. Things out of our control. And I don't want to minimize those things today. Uh, you may be struggling and going through things, not because you've made poor choices, but some of the people around you in your life have done things. And you are suffering and struggling today because of that. I do want to say that God is with you, and He will walk with you through that. And He's helping you and will help you through that as you reach out to Him. And that's the great thing about God. But we're reminded, because of all these things, of the consequences of sin and how it affects our lives. And Tim Keller says this, When you sin with the mind, the sin shrivels your rationality. When you sin with the heart or the emotions, that sin shrivels the emotions. When you sin with, with the will, that sin destroys and dissolves your willpower and your self-control. And sin, this, listen to this, sin is the suicidal action of the self against itself. Sin destroys freedom because sin is an enslaving power. Literally, everything implodes, as we see in the life of King Jehoram. And if, if things couldn't be worse, look at, let's look back to the story. Even with these consequences, it's the legacy of Jehoram that he leaves behind and how he was remembered, I think that's the, the most sad. So let's look at his legacy. Back to 2 Chronicles chapter 21. In the course of time, at the end of the second year, his bowels came out because of the disease, and he died in great pain. Awful, awful thing. His people made no funeral fire in his honor, as they had for his predecessors. Jehoram was 32 years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem eight years, but when he passed away, to no one's regret, he, sorry, he passed away to no one's regret and was buried in the city of David, but not in the tombs of the kings. The significance of those verses is this. First, he was dishonored. Instead of having a celebration of his life, the people of Judah did nothing to celebrate him. He was loathed. No one was sorry that Jehoram had died. They didn't wish that he was still alive. They didn't wish that he was still their king because of the choices and the consequences that came after that and because of the, what he did. 
No one wished he was still there with them. And finally, he was sidelined. They didn't even bury him with the rest of the kings. They put him in a common tomb. And so if anyone in, uh, later in history went looking for his tomb, they would have looked in the area where they buried the kings and wouldn't have found him. In fact, Jehoram's story became known as the dark part or the dark time in Judah's history. No one wanted to recall. No one wanted to remember that time in their history. There was no pride in that era of time for the people of Judah. And in light of all of this, in light of his story, I'm reminded of this from Proverbs chapter 4, 11 to 13. The writer says this, I instruct you in the way of wisdom and lead you along straight paths. And it's wisdom speaking, but it's really God who's speaking here. When you walk, your steps will not be hampered. When you run, when you follow the way of wisdom, you will not stumble. Hold on to instruction. Do not let it go. Guard it well, for it is your life. So to help us wrap this up together, let's take a look at some life lessons that we can learn and remember and apply to our own lives when we think of the story of King Jehoram. Jehoram. First is this, be aware of the myth of self, the self-made myth. There is this myth that's going around that, that says, uh, and that we easily buy into, that we can be self-made men and women. I can do it my way. I can tread my own path. I can have my own truth or my own reality. I can do it myself. And when we buy into this myth, we forget that God, the creator of the universe, without him, we wouldn't be here. Without him sustaining our life, we wouldn't be here. We wouldn't have what we have. And then there is this whole host of people or group of people who has chosen in the past to honor God, who've gone before us, who have left a legacy that, of favor and blessing from God that we get to experience. And when I think of that, I'm reminded of in my own life, the investment that people have made into the next generation that I'm a recipient of today. I think of the, the building that I'm standing in. There were people uh, years ago, people I've never met before, only heard stories of, who invested time and energy and money in building this church. Not the building itself per se, but making sure that there was a place for people to come so they could meet God and have relationship with Him and grow together in community. People invested in that. People invested in me and prayed for me and uh, Sonia, my wife, and our kids. And they gave to, to us and to help us. And I can think even back in, when I was in Bible college, people gave to help us to get through school. People encouraged us. And I also recognize the responsibility that I have to do that for the next generation. To recognize that God is my source. Any good that I do, anything I am, is only because of him. I'm reminded of Psalm 14.1 that says, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. And I want to encourage you today, don't get tripped up on this myth, this self-made myth that will fool us and hold us back from having a great legacy. The second uh, thing I think we need to think about when we think of King Jehoram's story is be mindful of your alliances. Who are the people that you are closely connected with? Who are influencing you? Who are you emulating? Who are you in partnership with? 
Are you influencing others towards God? Are the people in your life influencing you towards God or away from Him? And I think the big question is, what role does Christ have in your relationship with the people that you're closest with? Is He the center? I'm reminded of the key people in my life that I am so thankful for, and I could go on and on and name them by name, people who uh, cared about me. Some of those things, those people invested so much in my life, they encouraged me, they challenged me, they inspired me. And the most important relationship I'm reminded of is this, our relationship with God. And Jesus alludes to this in John 15, 4-5, in helping us to think in terms of how connected we need to be, how aligned we need to be with God in our lives. He says this, Remain in me as I remain in you. No branch, and there's this picture of this vine, God being the, the vine, we are the branches. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me, and I in you are connected in alliance, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Your alliances with others can play a significant role in the legacy that you leave behind, the things that you are remembered for. So surround yourself with people who will encourage you and inspire you and and invite them to be the people to challenge you to be the best version of yourself. I think the other thing that we can learn from Jehoram's life, the life lesson is this, be intentional with how you live. When I think about leaving a legacy and being remembered the way I want to be, living intentionally immediately comes to mind. So much of our life is spent living uh, by our whims or by our circumstances or by emotions sometimes of for today, what's happening is controlling how we feel and what's, what's going on. And sometimes we live life on the sidelines uh, as we admire those who are out there living on purpose and living intentionally. Instead, we should be people who are living intentionally today, discovering uh, God's purpose for our lives and then living out that God-given purpose. See, part of what I feel for my own personal life is is that my purpose is to inspire and to encourage and to remind others who they are, and specifically for those who are followers of Christ, to remind you that, that you're His, that you're in Christ when you, as you follow Him. And I think that's why Paul writes this in Ephesians 5. Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. I think one of the most important questions that we can ask ourselves is this. What am I doing today intentionally that will contribute to how I want to be remembered in the future? Finally, before we have communion today, one of the, there's a glimmer of hope that comes from Jehoram's story. We find it in verse 7 of chapter 21 of 2 Chronicles. It says this, Nevertheless, or really in spite of King Jehoram, what happened and what is all in that chapter, because of the covenant of the Lord, the Lord made with David, the Lord was not willing to destroy the house of David. He had promised to maintain a lamp for him and his descendants forever. If you jump ahead then to Matthew chapter 1, we find the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah 
And interestingly enough, as you read through the genealogy there, or the, the different kings, and it lists the kings of Judah that are in there, leading up to Jesus, Jehoram is mentioned. I ask the question, why would he even be put there? Such a dark time in their history. And I think it's there to remind us that even through the darkest times, even in Judah's history or our history, God was still working out his plan for salvation. And interestingly enough, here when it says that he promised to maintain a lamp for him, when Jesus comes on the scene, he is described as the light of the world. In the book of John, Jesus calls himself that. He says, I am the light of the world. And he came into the world, Jesus did, as that light to bring us salvation, to bring salvation to you and to me, and to give us an opportunity for our life to be changed, for us to leave a legacy that's better than the legacy we would have if we would just do follow our own will or make our own choices and experience the consequences of those choices. And so I want to challenge you today as we finish with this question. How do you want to be remembered? Let's pray. Father, I thank you this morning and today that you love us so much. When we read the story of King Jehoram, it fills our hearts with sadness to think of what he experienced because of the darkness in his life and the choices that he made. He had such a great opportunity to make a good start and to make good choices, and yet the choices that he made led to great consequences that everything imploded and fell apart. And God, today as we read, have read his story, we recognize uh, how much we need you. God, we don't want to follow that same path. We want to be remembered as people who, who left this earth better than we found it, as it were, when we came. That we want to make a difference. And as, if we're followers of Christ today, we want to leave a legacy of, uh, of uh, leading people closer to you, that people would know you more. And so today, as we think of this, our hearts are moved to repentance. As we're uh, in the season of Lent, a time of repentance and reflection, we do that today. And we ask God that you would forgive us and we understand that repentance means to do a 180. It's to, to turn to the opposite way and to walk in the opposite direction. And so I pray for those watching today that you would stir in their hearts to begin to turn to you so that they can begin to make choices that will leave a different legacy, that will be a part of following the path and the purpose that you have for them. For those who are watching that are followers today, I pray that you would uh, challenge us to think differently, to live differently in our lives, to not be caught in the myth of self-made, that self-made myth, to be careful of our alliances, to surround ourselves with people who will encourage and inspire and challenge us, but also, Lord, to think about being intentional with what we do each day to make a lasting difference. And we pray that you would work that out in our lives so that we could follow the path that you have for us. And we thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we're going to celebrate communion today. And I hope you prepared a drink and, or a cracker and a cookie. And uh, when we think about communion, we go oftentimes to 1 Corinthians chapter 11, where Paul is speaking to the Corinthian believers. And it's uh, reminding them of uh, the night that Jesus was betrayed. And it's uh, as we read through the uh, gospel accounts of 
uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we read the story how uh, it was the time of the Passover and Jesus was meeting with his disciples, his followers in a room and they were having the Passover meal together. And at the end of it, uh, Jesus goes into this uh, sort of extension of it, which we understand to be communion. And I think at that moment, Jesus, who we've been talking about today is the light of the world, who was surrounded by imperfect people, was reminding them of a new opportunity for them to make new choices. He knew that those people in that room, like Peter, would betray him. That others of the disciples would abandon him. There was no one with him when he would die hours later. And of Judas, who would betray him. And yet, he uh, continued to do that. And he walks them through that uh, thing of what we follow today as communion, what's modeled for us of remembering uh, the significance of what Jesus did that, that day in, at the Passover celebration and after that. In the same way we celebrate communion today as those imperfect people, that Jesus invites uh, to come and walk a new path with him, to experience forgiveness and restoration and a new opportunity. And so as part of that today, we're gonna take a cup in a moment here and, and uh, remember Christ and his, his blood that he gave for us, his life really, and we're gonna have a cracker here. We're gonna eat it together, remember his body broken. But one of the things we do here at King Street is uh, we recite uh, the Apostles' Creed like the Church Fathers did for many years as a reminder of what uh, Christ has done for us. And so I'm gonna read this for you. I believe in God the Father, almighty creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven. He is seated at the right hand of the Father, and he will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. And so let's uh, take the bread or cracker in your hand today. And in a moment as we bite into it or chew it and eat it, let's remember the suffering that Jesus went through to make a way for us to come to him and, and to have a new life in him. Let's eat together. We also take the cup of juice today and we hold it in our hand and whatever drink you may have. It's just symbolic. There's nothing special about what's in the cup, but reminds us of the blood of Jesus that flowed from his body in death to pay the penalty for our sin and to give life. And so as we drink today, let's give thanks and remember what Christ has done for us as followers of Christ today. Amen.